G'day, this is Andrew Gaze, and you're listening and watching NBA Australia. Oh, there it is. There it is. NBA Straya, how are you going? How are you going? I hope you're all right. You better bloody well be, because I am. I've got a couple of tins. We're hanging out. We've got a chat with Gazy. <laughs> it's all going on. That's right. It is Thursday, December 7, all day. This is NBA Straya, episode 1000. <laughs> Bit of drink up here. Bit of a celebration. Absolute chaos. I'll tell you what, that's what today's show is going to be. The chat with Gazy is coming up. That is awesome. Um, I am James Clements. I'm the host of NBA Astro, the editor of CodeBet. That's a very good website. Go check that out at codebet.com.au. You can see that and all our cricket stuff, the Cricket Today podcast, the NFL Australia podcast, all the good stuff. I am, of course, here in Larry Armour Studios. As you can see, this is on video as well today. Got to hang with Mr. Cooper behind me, Big Dally over there. Got a bunch of uh, jerseys up on the wall, a couple of bobbleheads, all the good stuff. Uh, but really, we're here, as always, to take you through all things NBA, including a little bit of Australia. That's what we do here on NBA Australia. But today, episode 1000, we've got Gazy, we've got 11 games to talk through. Uh, so we're going to wrap up all those in the NBA Australia game wraps. We'll do that on an iPhone, mate. No, mate. It's better than Lonzo Ball. Spot of the night. And then we'll talk to Gazy. Then we'll come in hot with some Yenars straight after that. And we'll preview the in-season tournament semifinals, which are tomorrow morning. Chaos. Absolutely love it. We might as well do a great moment in NBA Australia stat history in there as well. Just saying, because that's what NBA Australia is built on. And that is what we'll continue to do. <laughs> I promise. All right. So... Without further ado, shall we do it? Episode 1000 of NBA Australia. Let's go. This is Joe Ingalls, and you're listening to NBA Australia. Yeah, give it up for me. Woo! <laughs> a thousand. Watch out for the shark attack. You better. I can't believe we got to a thousand episodes of this issue muzzle. NBA Australia has been a passion for me, obviously, uh, since its very, very weird inception back in 2017, sitting there in the New York apartment that we've been living in. Uh, with my Brooklyn Nets season tickets, uh, my buddy Tim had sort of uh, left his podcasting gear at the house, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to do it my buddy self. What do you reckon? And uh, here we are, many years later. So I think my favorite part is going to be the simple idea of like, uh, what were you doing in 2017? What are you doing now? 
And uh, I don't know. There's two kids now. There's a house. There's Larry Armour Studios. I've actually got a job, <laughs> which is awesome. And uh, there's just a lot different. I'm a lot chunkier. I'm a lot hairier. But uh, I actually did go back and listen to episode one. And uh, I talk weird in episode one. It's strange. And this is it. I think a thousand episodes of this here program has definitely helped me uh, find my own voice, talk hoops the way I want to, all that sort of good stuff. And I think my favorite aspect of NBA Australia, a thousand episodes in, is just sort of having been a music journalist for 20 years before I started doing all this and then moving into sports stuff more full time, is that I come from a background where we put out magazines. We'd put out a magazine each week. Beat, Beat Magazine was fantastic here in Melbourne. Uh, it was all I wanted to do when I was a kid, growing up in bands, around bands, that sort of stuff. Uh, all music journalism, I fucking read everything as much as I could. But that and basketball was like the sort of two constants in my life, right? Uh, all basketball all the time when I was a kid and all music. And the coolest thing about NBA Australia straight away was the reaction it got. And it's like the amount of shit that I'd written, the amount of words that I'd published, uh, the instant reaction vibe of NBA Australia has probably been my favorite part and those who are reacting to it are very clearly the best part of this the listeners the folks out there I reckon my favorite part from NBA Australia almost straight away was literally the reaction it got from folks who were just like me right just Aussies or you know whether they be expats in the states or Aussies back home at that point who just loved hoops and just wanted to keep track of what the Aussies were up to, but also have a bit of a vibe on what else was going on. And I'm like, well, if I can do that, what else am I going to do? Not much. Blow it out your ass, me. I'll just keep doing it. And then 1,000 episodes later, that's what we're doing. And that's my job now. So pretty cool. Pretty gnarly. Kids, if you could dream it, you could believe it. To do way you go, you could do it. Ah, it's enough teary-eyed bullshit from me, though. 1,000 episodes. We do have a chat with Gazy. He was... Essentially, uh, chatting to him before we did the interview, he's like, I can't believe, how have I not been on? I'm like, well, I've never asked you, really. So, to be honest, it's basically on me. Uh, having done the having done Fox Sports Lab NBA last year with uh, my good friend Ben Dixon, my good friend Jack Heverin, um, and then just sort of going, well, I should probably get Gazy on for the 1,000. It was either going to be, I was going to gun for Gazy or Patty Thrills, Gazy very, very, very kindly uh, acquiesced and came on, and it's an absolute fucking awesome chat. So after we wrap up these games and talk through some of the awards from today, you can hear myself chatting to Gazy. It's awesome. It's just everything. Sonics, Washington, his time in the NBA, little bits of the NBL stuff, a lot of boomer stuff, of course, and just it goes on and on and on, and I fucking had the time of my life. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm just sitting there just go, this is great. I'm chatting with Andrew Gaze. Like... Absolute fucking pinnacle vibe. So hang out, listen to that. But before we do that, let's get into some news. How do we start every show here at NBA Australia? Oh, is it with the daily whip around, Jim? Yeah. Oh, it's a whip crack sale. There you go. Nice one. Very little has changed in a thousand episodes as well. I'm still a fucking moron. <laughs> That's how it goes. All right. So after yesterday, we've got the in-season tournament uh, taking that one day off uh, before as they set up everything in Vegas for Bucks, Pacers, and then Pelicans, Lakers. Uh, the NBA came out with, hey, you're not allowed to wear your black uniforms, Lakers. And the Lakers like, but we're unbeaten in those. What are you doing, Adam Silver? He's like, I don't like it when you wear the black ones. It's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you have to wear the ones that I say. 
Like, all right, Adam Silver, just settle down. I like that we're changing the uniforms, but we're not changing the ball color. As I've said from time time after time after time in this here program, just give me an option, an array of basketballs to choose from before every game. Give me an ABA ball, the Mountain Dew crazy green ball. Uh, let's go a sick white ball. Let's go, you know, the bright orangey ones that you remember from the olden days. Plenty of awesome options. You could have like, you know, one of the uh, the home team's sort of colorways. That'd be awesome. Anyway, but we're all set up for the in-season tournament. The court itself, when you see it, it's going to look a bit funky. Funky. I think it's the blue and red sort of motif. Uh, but yeah, the Lakers being mandated by the NBA to not wear their black city uniforms is a bit brutal, but that's where you get all the big jobs, isn't it? When Adam Silver and his Lakers, he says, I'm the boss of you. You have to do what I say. I rigged it so you'd get here, so you better not wear those uniforms. And away he goes. Other news, the Bulls. They're like, ah, yeah, Zach Levine. Ah, it's another three to four weeks of uh, right in, in foot inflammation, a.k.a. Uh, you're not playing again for us before we trade you. Seriously, stay home, Zach. Zach, stay home. Um yeah, he's got a bit of a WFH on me. Bit of work from home for the next couple of weeks. Zachy Cakes, Adam Levine. You love to see it. It's very funny. Other little bits of news. I love this. I really enjoyed these last two bits of news from yesterday's games. That Suns Lakers game. You might remember there was a little bit of controversy at the end of it. Turns out the refs were right. Oh, really, Jim? Who's that according to? The refs. That's right. The refs said the refs were correct. Amazing gear. There is nothing better than going, hey, were those refs right yesterday? And the refs going, yes, they were. We, we were right, see? I love it. Oh, yeah, he pinned, the, he touched the ball to his leg at the exact moment that LeBron asked for a timeout. Yes. Pull the other one. It plays Alex Lloyd's amazing. Because you were amazing. There we go. Uh, in fact, I like that the NBA is like, well, actually, the Lakers didn't even benefit. There was like three uncalled fouls on the Suns, man. So really, we actually let the Suns stick in with it. So all right, you're doing a great job there, NBA. Uh, but my favorite little bit of news was that Shams came out and was like, ah, oh, the Knicks. Guys, everybody, the Knicks are monitoring the trade market, monitoring it in the hopes, just they're hoping of acquiring superstar-level talent. Just, they're monitoring the trade market for a superstar. The, yeah, that's right. The New York Knickerbockers of New York City are. Can we can we fire it up? Can we? Uh, there, uh, oh, damn! There was a great moment where they're like, ah, oh, the Knicks have been monitoring the trade market for a superstar since, like, Wilt fucking Chamberlain. Uh, but my favorite thing is literally like the Knicks are going gig, big game hunting. Rad. They've got eight tradable first rounders, young guys like Q Grimes and Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, but yeah, the Knicks apparently after a superstar. In other news, water is wet. And here's some other breaking news for you. I like beer. Yeah, anyway, let's do some game raps. Game raps, 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 game raps. Game raps, that's right, the game raps. Weird day today. I mentioned this on yesterday's program. I'm going to fly through this so I get to Gazy. But there's a weird sort of bunch of matchups today where you're like, ah, that should be lopsided. Oh, that should be lopsided. Yeah, there's a couple of good ones here. And then it absolutely turned into chaos where there's upsets fucking galore. Everything was a little bit close. So let's fly through it, though. We had the Orlando Magic men and not ever really get to 
get within spinning distance of this Cleveland. That's right, Cleveland. Cleveland! Cavaliers team. Uh, the defense just hasn't been good enough for the Magic over the last couple of games. They lose that weird game to Brooklyn. They lose this weird game to Cleveland. Cleveland! Uh, Franz couldn't buy Franz Wagner. Hello. Couldn't buy a bucket. Uh, meanwhile, Donnie Mitchell goes for 35, shot 12 with 24 and 5 of 10 from 3. He crushes it. You got 26 and 9 for Garland. Evan Mobley causing all sorts of havoc. Uh, nothing from my sweet baby, Karis Levert. Old uh, sweet baby carrots. There's a massive throwback, actually, to the first NBA Australia seasons. Uh, being there in Brooklyn, watching those horrible, horrible Nets teams, and like basically going, well, if I've got any hope of watching half-decent basketball over the next couple of years, it's D'Angelo Russell and my sweet baby, Karis Levert. Yeah. One of those things worked out okay, I guess. Uh, but they hold them off, do the Cavs. Uh, Ice Cole Anthony goes for 19. Paolo drops 42 in this. 42. He only goes 1 of 5 from deep as well. He goes 9 of 12 of the line. Uh, 16 to 26 from the floor. It's some awesome little floaters here and there. But the big problem was Franz going 3 of 16 and his big pumpkin-headed dipshit brother. Uh, not doing much beyond the 11 and 4 that he had. So, bit of a weird one. And the weirdest part was when Orlando then also went, what are we going to shoot today from downtown, boys? What do you reckon? And uh, everybody very clearly went, well, 8%, obviously. And that's what they did. 2 of 23. 2 of 23 in the year of our Lord, 2023. They went 2 of 23, the Orlando Magic. That is the fifth worst shooting uh, night for a team taking more than 23s in like a decade. So, not bloody bad. Uh, Meanwhile, the Cavs, look, they were fine. You know, 16 and 5 for Mobley, the 10 for George Niang, the minibus off the bench. But Donnie Mitchell gets him there. Four threes from Struess, and away you go. And the toughest part, I think, for the Magic is they lose Jalen Suggs to a pretty tough-looking ankle injury early on. Uh, he already had two steals and a block by that point in the first nine minutes. Uh, but either way, Orlando, starting to get a little bit regression to the meanie. Uh, they're now 14 and 7. Still ahead of, that's right, Cleveland. The Cleveland Cavaliers are 12 and 9. Memphis kicked the shit out of Detroit. Uh, 116-102. They weren't doing that the entire game, though. This was a bit close. The Pistons felt like they were in it, and then Memphis ran over the top because Desmond Bain went for 49, 24 for Triple J as well. The Pistons are a mess. It's like Alec Burks is out there playing 17 minutes, going one of six. No one's entirely sure why, uh, but instead it's a lot of, a lot of Isaiah Livers and a lot of uh, Burks instead of Jaden and Co., it's like, you're young. It's a young team. Monty Williams is like, fuck it, I'll coach the way I want, man. I'll need some wins. And it's like, well, you don't have many wins. We get, we all understand that. You're just a shit team that's being very badly coached at the moment, Detroit. Uh, I talked about this before, time and time again, how this is such a weirdly balanced roster. And that is only just being shown more and more as the season goes on. It's like, Isaiah Stewart, he's big beef stew. Great. Jalen Durant, awesome. But goddamn. When they're playing them together and stuff, you're like, this is just not pretty. They have now lost 18 straight, your Detroit Basketball Pistons, and they are now 2-19. and 19. Well, the Memphis Grizzlies aren't going to go 5-20 and 20 without uh, Jar Morant because they're 6-14, and 14. so that's good. But how good was Bain? 49 points. He's going to pop up again later. Philly got by Washington in the end, 131-126. Played with their food. Uh, took 50 from Embiid to get the win. 12 rebounds, 7 assists for the big Cameroonian. 26-7 and 7 for Tyrese Maxey as well. 12 for Ubre in his return from his uh, Truman show. Oh, yeah, definitely got hit by a bike. Nothing weird. Nothing to see here. 
Uh, for the Wiz, 23 for Pauls, 16 for Coos, 4 threes for Kispert. They shot 57%. Philly, I don't know, man. It's awesome. Embiid had 50 because he just seemingly hates Daniel Gafford. He's like, oh, man, I just hate Daniel Gafford. Here's another 50-piece on his head. It's like, yeah, checks out. Uh, but Philly, this is the thing. Look, you just need to see a little bit better, a little bit better defense out of this team, I think, before you go legit championship kind of level threat. Tobias Harris, he's back to stealing money. Six points, six rebounds, three nine shooting. Thanks for coming, Tobias. You're doing great. We can have some of a beer. You have to deal with it. Episode one thousand. I'll do what I want. Anyway, Philly at thirteen and seven now. Three and seventeen for the Washington Wizards. Oh, it's gross. This is horrible. There's no other way to put it. There is no other way to put it. Miami outlasted Toronto 112-103. Told you. I mentioned this one on yesterday's program. They're a mess. They're a weird team. And it just feels like their three best players can't play well at the same time. Uh, today, it was two of four. You had Siakam go for 30. OG go for 23. But Scoob and Schroeder uh, combined to shoot. What's that? Nine of 35 combined. Now, I'm no math magician. But 9 of 35 is really shit. Uh, the Heat, Caleb Martin had 24, 12, and 3. 21 for not like to have a beer with Duncan. I've got my beer right here. Jimmy Butler had 19 and with 8 assists. 15, 12, and 4 for Orlando Robinson without uh, Bam back yet. So good win. Jaime Hawkins had 15 as well. Keep an eye on him for uh, Rookie of the Year. Just a very sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Uh, good win for Miami, 112-103. They now move to 12-9. and nine. They needed to win that one, so flip that and reverse it. That's your Toronto Raptors, 9-12. and 12. Uh, What else did we have? We had... Oh, yeah, Shrewd is going to pop up again in a second. Brooklyn-Atlanta, what an awesome game. In chaotic ending. Chaotic ending. 114-113. Brooklyn win it in Hotlanta. Uh, Trey hits the go-ahead three with only a few seconds left. He ends up with 30 points, 3-9 from downtown, 13 on 6-16 shooting for DeJunte Murray, 21 for Big Deke Bay, 20 for Bogdan Bogdanovich. And then Mikael Bridges goes, don't care, boom, bang. 4.5 seconds left, hits the game winner. On the last possession as they inbound it, Trey gets a bump, flails around, throws up a bullshit shot and gets no call. And you're like, yes, that's the way it should be, refs. Play for the shot, not for the fucking call, Trey, you dickhead. Uh, Bridges had 23 in the second half for his 32. 17 for Cam Johnson. Spencer Dinwiddie was uh, BAD bad. He was down bad. Cam Thomas was getting doubled at times. He couldn't buy a bucket. Six points on 310 shooting with five turnovers. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith had 15, but this game was psychotic. Absolutely psychotic because if you dig into this, uh, there was literally, obviously it's 114-113. Jim, we get it. That's wild, right? It's like, yeah, it's very strange. Uh, we had a remarkable f- one bucket between them in the end of 43 of 94 from the floor for the Nets and 42 of 94 for the Atlanta Hawks. That is absolutely ridiculous. Seriously, it's ridiculous. So good job. And I believe now I'm just checking this because it was 43 lead changes when I was looking at it which would be the most in NBA history since it's been tracked since the start of the 90s. Uh, but if we look at Brooklyn, Atlanta, and have a look at the scores here, uh, the team comparison, and we have more stuff to look at. No, because why would we have that in the Australian version? Because we don't. That's just, everyone's doing a great job there. 
Good job. Anyway, 43 lead changes, most ever. There was This game was psychotic. San Antonio, because uh, everyone's got a boner about showing them on TV, played Minnesota and got their ass handed to them, 102-94. But Minnesota played with it. Talk about playing with your food. Minnesota, yeah, the two Frenchmen. You had Rude de Gobert, Estabot Dawur, going up against Victor Wembanyama. And Rudy had the uh, better of him. 12 and 10 for the rookie on 4 of 13 shooting. But, yeah, we've got a boner about putting the uh, the rookie on TV. Unfortunately, his team is shit. So watching the Spurs is like gouging your fucking eyes out. It is absolutely loss horrible. It is fucking brutal watching this Spurs team. They're 3 and 17. They've lost 15 on the trot. It's chaos how bad they are. And it's like weird because they've still got, you know, a bit of talent there. You've got Cowden Johnson going off for, uh, what, yeah, 22. You had, oh, no, yeah, 21. Devin Vassell at 22. The Spurs are just gross now, though. Like, Sohan's coming off the bench. He had six points in 22 minutes and zero assists. Oh, we should probably try him at point guard. Trey Jones, two of eight. They shot 37% from the floor as a team. Uh, the Wolves had 16 and 21 from Rudy Gobert, which is sick. Uh, 18 for Conley, 17 on 17 shots for Ant-Man, 14 and 10 for Cat. They just did enough, right? They're now 10 and 1 at home, the Wolves, and they rule. Seriously, top of the West. Love to see it. Uh, and the Spurs, as mentioned, 3-17, and 17, lost 15 on the trot. Charlotte uh, fell way short against Chicago, 111-100. God damn it. 25 for Rose on 10-24 shooting. Gordon Hayward was good, 27-4-4, but he had five turnovers. 16 for Miles Bridges on 15 shots. Uh, Brandon Spindles-Miller had 4-14 shooting. PJ Hamilton-Washington, 4-13. It's just brutal. Charlotte. Just shot themselves out of this one. Bulls, 29 for DeMar DeRozan. Kobe, Kobe White had 19, 9, and 5. 20 and 12 for Vooch. And Patch, Patch Williams, he's had a good little stretch here. He's gone for 8 points, 9 rebounds, 2 steals, and 2 blocks. That's what we need from your Patch. Uh, they went 12 or 25 from 3. Bulls now 8 and 14 with 3 wins in a row. Charlotte dropped to 6 and 13. OKC also similarly came up short against Houston. Couldn't buy a bucket. 101, 110. Houston are now on 9 straight wins at home, which is gnarly. They held a team that's averaging 120 points to 101 on their own court, which is pretty pretty cra- uh, crazy if you ask me because SGA drops 33 with six assists and six steals, and OKC could not manufacture a fucking bucket. It was wild. Chet had six blocks, but he shot two or nine for four points. Yeesh. Houston are legit. The Thunder feel a little bit wheels offy at the moment. I'm just saying. Is that because of the Josh Giddy gear, Jim? Yeah, nah, probably. It doesn't help. They've lost, what is it, three of the last five now. Uh, they've lost to the Sixers, the Wolves. They beat the Lakers and the Mavs and now lose to the Rockets. Very up and down at the, this point. And uh, Giddy, look, at least he got amongst the assists today, but he didn't shoot very well. Uh, Brooks had 23. Dylan Brooks, the most punchable man in the NBA, he had 23. 21-6-7 for uh, Joker from Wish, Alper and Shingoon. And, uh, what, Green had 15. Jabari Parker. Uh, Jabari Parker. <laughs> Jabari Smith had 18 rebounds, which is sick. Houston, though, as long as they play all their games at home, they're fine. Because, <laughs> as I said, uh, what's that, nine straight? I think that makes them nine and one at home, which is a ridiculous record. Uh, but they are 0 and 8 on the road. So, okay, see, that leaves them at 13 and 7, second in the West. Utah got absolutely straight killed. But he got straight killed by Dallas in the first half. It was all over. Luke had a 29-point triple-double in the first half. In the first half! That's insane. 147-97, to they end up winning. That's a 50-point shellacking. It was 74-51 after that first half. Kyrie ends up with 26. Utah stink. 
Uh, it was Ochayog, Baji, and very little else. They're one and nine out of Salt Lake City at this point. Mavs moved to eleven and eight. They just kicked the piss out of them. No Josh Greeny Green. He's got a bung elbow. Dante got the start. Love to see Sexum out there crushing it. And uh, look, he wasn't that great. He had a pretty rough shooting night. I'll tell you that much against this horrible, horrible Utah team without Larry Markin. Larry, that's a girl's name, Markin. And, and of course, uh, Jordan Jeremy Clarkson. Would have been nice for J- John Collins. It's a tall cocktail to do anything. But he had 10 points and was a minus 40. Anytime you could be a minus 40, you're done fucked up. Minus 48 for Keontae George, though. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, God. Anyway, uh, Kyrie, as mentioned, the 26, he hit four threes. Luca, he's going to pop up again. 40, 10, and 11, he finishes with. Tim Hardaway hit four threes, ends up with 17 as well. Portland, Golden State. Golden State escaped with the win. It's a weird sentence to utter, but they really did. Portland had this most of the way. And then the Warriors outscored them by eight points in the fourth quarter. Got the lead. Kaminga was absolutely massive for them. He ends up with 13 points on six of six shooting. Hit some big buckets late. Uh, Steph has 31. Absolutely cooked Clay Thompson. 3 of 13 for 11 points. 1 of 8 from deep. Draymond Green with a 10, 10, and 9. Not bad. Almost the triple-double there. Dario the homie. Sarich with 13. Moses Moody, Moody, Moses Moody had 12. And uh, they just outlast the Grim Reefer. That's right. The Great Barrier Reef. He got another start. You love to see that. He had 10, 6, and 2 with a steal and a block. He shot 2 of 6, though. 1 of 5 of which from downtown. Five or six at the line, though, for the Great Barrier Reef. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon left with an injury, but they got 28 from the returning Anthony Penny Simons. He went 6 of 13 from downtown. 26 for Shaden Sharp. Uh, Blazers 6 and 14. Warriors 10 and 11. Luckily, pull that one out. And then finally, the Clippers got the monkey off their back, the Joker off their back. They beat Denver 111 102. With Jam and Jamal Murray back for the Nuggets, Joker had a really rough game. I love that it's a rough game, and he ends up with 22, 15, and 10. <laughs> like, what other player has a shit game and ends up with a triple-double, apart from Russell Westbrook? You know, James Harden sometimes, but absolute chaos gear. 18 and 9 for Michael Porter Jr. 14 for Reggie Jackson off the bench, but they just couldn't quite hang with the Clippers in this one. It was pretty weird because Joker shoots 9 of 32. So even you got the triple double, the nine of thirty-two really like if he's missing like little bunnies in the like little runners and floaters and shit in the paint. If Joke is missing them, you've got a feeling that's probably not your night. Uh, for the Clippers, Paul George was fantastic in this. What was it? He hit five threes, five and nine from downtown. Twenty-five and eight for him. Twenty for James Harden with eleven assists. Very Nash. Zoob's the ten and nine. Even Kawhi though, Kawhi. <laughs> 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 had a quiet one. He had 17, 4, and 5. A couple of turnovers. He was a minus 8. Shot 8 to 16, though. Hit that big line drive shot right at the end to basically salt that away. Yeah, Norm! Norm Power go for 17. Uh, Rusty, 9, 4, and 8 off the bench. Clippers needed that. They're back to 500. They're 10 and 10. Nuggets dropped to 14 and 8. They're sort of just going through the motions of the Nuggets at the moment with uh, our team is young. Our bench is young, rather. Uh, so we're just playing our bench a bunch and trying to get some you know minutes into them and try to figure this out. We've got Reggie Jackson, we've got DeAndre Jordan, but then we've got Strouther, Braun, Brown, and uh, Watson, and they're not doing too much at the moment. So it's one of those things where you look at it and go, yeah, the Nuggets will probably kick the tires on some veteran help down the road. But either way, let's do an NBA Australia-approved performance of the night. 
That is a knife. You better bloody believe it. Luka Doncic with the 29-point triple-double in the first half. That's psychotic. Finishes with the 40 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds in 32 minutes, 6 of 12 from downtown, 14 and 25 from the floor. And, of course, the big Cameroonian himself, Joel Embiid, goes bang! 50 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists, a steal and a block, shoots 19 of 28 from the floor, one of two from three and 11 of 13 of the line. He's a plus six in a game that they just sort of sneak over the line. Incredible gear. Paolo Bencaro with his 42 becomes the youngest player in Magic history to have 40 plus since Shaq in 1993. They've had a couple of good players on that team. Tell you what. And of course, you think about the old, that's not a knife. This is a knife. Trey Young hits the go-ahead three. Mikhail Bridges goes, that's fucking cute, mate. That's a knife. This is a fucking knife. Bang! Mid-range jumper on your head. Love to say it. Mikhail Bridges. Brooklyn Nets with the win, 32 points. Bridges was awesome in that second half because they stunk. That Nets team was horrible for a lot of that game. It's just a testament to how unconvincing the Hawks are that they stuck around like a bad smell. Spencer Dinwiddie, Spencer went 5-19. and 19. And uh, Bridges, as mentioned, was a 24 in the second half, 32 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists only, the one turnover, 12 of 19 shooting and 3 of 4 from downtown. There is an absolute litany of really, really good games today. I thank the NBA for doing that because it makes my life a little bit easier when we're doing NBA Australia Approved Performance of the Night for the 1,000th episode. Who was Spud of the Night, however? Spud, 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 I already mentioned Franz Wagner. He started 0 of 10 from the floor. How'd you know that, Jim? Did you bet on him? Yes. <laughs> He's been tearing it up. And, of course, the one time I go, oh, you'll get the 20 points. It should be all right. Let's go, Franz. He starts 0 of 10 from the floor. Absolutely brutal gear. Uh, but you also had Dork go 0 of 5. You had 2 of 9 for Chet. Uh, he had one of seven for Gary Harris, and Franz ends up three of 16 overall. Four of 17 for Ant-Man, Anthony Edwards. I am Dennis Schroeder. I am German Rondo. Goes four of 18. And, of course, as a collective, the Orlando Magic shooting two of 23 from downtown in the fifth worst shooting performance from a team this past decade with 20-plus attempts from three. That's a lot of spuds. That's spuds coming out the wazoo. That's more spuds than, like, McCain's. Like, what are we doing here? Absolute chaos gear. But thank you very much to the one, the only, the mop-top mumber himself, the Weepix kid, because Josh Giddy saw that it was episode 1,000 of NBA Australia today, and he went, right, if there's one thing that Jim loves more than just about anything, what is it when it comes to Spud of the Night? It's a bloke out there shooting from the floor. Oh, yeah! Giddy up! He went 3-11! Woo! Love that. Uh, 
Keontae George went two of 11. That's a disappointment. Alec Burks, one of six, as I mentioned. Uh, Isaiah Joe goes one of five. So does Lucas Samanich and uh, Nick Claxton. Onyeka Okongwu goes one of five as well. Two and nine for Chet and Dante. Breaking my heart. No, Dante was two and nine, yeah. And a uh, bit of a rough one all around. But of course, Josh Giddy's the only one who stepped up and went 3-11. You legend. All right. How about old mate, no mates? Old mate, no mates. 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 Who's got no mates today? Uh, Jaden Ivey. is just out there ruining his confidence. It's crazy. Jaden Ivey is not a bad basketball player. Monty Williams is treating him as though he is, and it's weird. Like, what are we doing here? That Detroit team is an absolute mess. Uh, but really, the old mate, no mates today is uh, Woj. You know, esteemed uh, weirdo, <laughs> use breaker, Woj versus Ron Harper. Woj, Woj bombed Ron Harper's son. What are you doing, Woj? Ron Harper was pissed. Jeez. Woj tweets out, Don Bosco, New Jersey, prep guard Dylan Harper, the number two prospect in the ESPN class of 2024, is committing to the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, he tells ESPN. Harper is making public that decision at the Fanatics offices in New York shortly. Oh, so you scooped him after he said, hey, don't tell anybody, but I'm going to Rutgers. Brutal. Ron Harper, esteemed former Chicago Bull champion, tweeted out, that was some bullshit you pulled today, Woj. I will catch up with you one day, I promise. Holy shit. If there's one dude that I don't want chasing after me, it's probably Ron Harper. It probably goes, I don't know, uh... Who would probably be the scariest who's coming after you? Ooh. Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> Adam Silver. Uh, who do I not want coming after me? Dennis Rodman. Uh, any of the Bad Boys Pistons. Metaworld Peace. Jermaine O'Neal. Rashid Wallace. The rest of the Jailblazers. Uh, but also Ron Harper. I want no bar of Ron Harper. That's fucking nuts. Woj, I feel like you just made a very powerful enemy. All right, what about Panting of the Night? Once I press the button. When your coach, after a 50-point shit pumping, comes out and goes, uh, yeah, that was a masterpiece of dog shit, you better believe that's a pantsing. Because Utah got pants by Dallas. That was sick. Better than Lonzo Ball. Lonzo was the best player in high school. He was the best player in college. You think you will get to the pros and be like, I made it to the pros. Now I can be average. Coming coming for everybody. everybody. Coming for everybody. Desmond Boone. That's right. 49, 6, and 8 for Desmond Boone today. Uh, he also owns the best three-point shooting percentage over the last three years in the NBA, which is absolutely crazy uh, because he was the 30th pick. In the draft a couple of years back, 30th. That's pretty low down. It's certainly lower than three, which is Lonzo. Uh, if you go back in that first episode of NBA Australia, I was like debuting the Better Than Lonzo Ball segment from literally day one, which is pretty crazy. Uh, but Desmond Brain coming out and being this good. Like we've retired a few folks over the years with uh, Better Than Lonzo Ball. Uh, folks from that exact, you know, Lonzo Ball draft class, uh, which was, you know, it happens. The 2017 draft class, you had a couple of really good ones. You had a couple of shockers. So Lonzo goes second, right? Yeah. So Markel, Fultz goes one. Uh, Lonzo goes two. And then you have Tatum three. 
Amazingly, you've got Josh Jackson going for Darren Fox, Johnny Isaac, Lowry, Frankie Smokes, Denny Smith Jr., who's still actually not playing a uh, bad role out there for the Nets today. Zach Collins looks like he owns a Subaru Forester, Malik Monk, the Duckman, Luke Kennard, Donnie Mitchell, Bam and Abo, Justin Jackson. Basically, if you were named Jackson in the first six, 15 picks in, the, in that draft, you were the only ones who were basically shit and are out of the league, you know? Which is crazy. It's basically Frankie Smokes and the Jacksons. The Jacksons. Outside of that, you got John Collins, Jared Allen, OG Ananobi. It was a great. Kyle Kuzma at 27. Josh Hart at 30. Derek White at 29. Amazing gear. But anyway, uh, Desmond Bean was in the class of 2020. Goes pick 30. And uh, absolutely fucking crushed the Pistons today. I mean, it sort of comes with a caveat that, yeah, it was the Pistons and their dog shit. But God damn. 20, uh, 49 points is absolutely nothing to uh, poke a stick at. 49, 6 and 8 from the 30th pick. And Okchay Baji as well gets a bit of a nod here. 21 points, 7 to 14 shooting, 5 and 10 from 3 for that horrible, horrible Utah team. But man, Desmond Bain. They need a lot more of that from Bain, does this Memphis Grizzlies team. And they have not gotten enough of it so far this season. But it's good to see him turning a corner. It's the same with Bridges, actually, to be honest. He's been awesome the last week and a half uh, for the Nets. I talked him up prior to the season starting, right, as a uh, most improved candidate. He's sort of showing up and showing out, which is very nice. What about the magic tweet of the day? Oh, Irvin, what have you got to say today? Because it's pretty great. It's like he finally got to his phone because Irvin today tweeted out, I want to give a big shout-out to NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and his staff for putting on an electrifying in-season tournament. You can tell the players are into the tournament because the games are exciting and engaging night after night. I'll be tuned in with my hot popcorn ready to watch my Lakers play the Pelicans, but first I'm going to catch Giannis, Damian Lillard, and the Bucks against Tyrese Halliburton and the Indiana Pacers. <laughs> the way Halliburton is playing this year, he should be an all-star. <laughs> is this a fucking PR release? What are we doing? Anyway, what do we say? Thanks, Magic. All right, let's take some ENRs right after. No, we're going to go to Gazy. That's right. That's what I said. We're going to go to Gazy, uh, chat to him for a good half hour, and we'll come back with some ENRs right after. Well, it'll be Gazy, then ENRs after this. This is Cam Glidden. This is Anthony Drimmick. This is Mitch McCarran. This is Jason Kiddie. This is Daryl McDonald. Hey, guys, this is Hugh Greenwood. Yo, what's going on? This is Ellie. This is Mark Worthington or commonly known as Wertho, and you're listening to NBA Australia. You're listening to NBA Australia. And 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 you're listening to NBA Australia. All right, you ready? You're psyched? It is gazy time. All right, here he is. That's it. It is the long-awaited 1,000th episode of NBA Australia. I can't believe it. You can't believe it. Our special guest can't believe it. He's the bloke with his name. What is it on the NBL trophy? Because he won it about 47 times. I think it was seven, but that's all right. Two-time champion in the NBL, NBA champion, boomer legend, Aussie captain, Olympic captain, flag bearer. You might have seen him pop up during Sydney 2000. You might have seen him have a bit of a cry after we won that bloody bronze medal. He's an Aussie icon. A beloved institution. He's basically everyone's favourite. He's the best pitch man we've ever seen in Australia. I've got the gays' ponies to prove it over here. Look at this. There you go. And, nice. Uh, 
He scored what is it, over almost 19,000 points in the NBL. He also dunked once. That was pretty good. I think it was twice, but that's right. It is my ultimate pleasure to introduce the very special guest for the 1,000th episode of NBA Australia, the Aussie GOAT, the Grey Mumber himself. It's Andrew Gaze. Gazy, what is going on? How are you? Oh, I'm going really well. It's uh, it's a delight to be here. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't aware that, uh, firstly, that I hadn't been on your program before, and secondly, Congratulations, a thousand episodes. That's a uh, it's a hell of an achievement. We all know how tough it is in the media game, and uh, to survive a thousand episodes, you must be doing something right. So, well done. Thank you, Gazy. I mean, my my wife is very uh, shall we say lenient uh, <laughs> more than anything, and uh, I don't know. Doing a daily NBA show never seemed like uh, the wor- this world's smartest career choice, but here we are. It's worked out okay. No, it's good fun. It's great fun, and. Uh, over the last few years in particular, you've had a lot a lot to talk about, mostly good, some not so good, but mostly good. There's a couple of moments at the moment where it's a bit sketchy, but, uh, I mean, we wanted to have you on for the thousandth because, I mean, this is it, right? Like, for specifically my generation, so I just turned 40 this year, uh, and if you look at a lot of the folks that I talk to about basketball, we're of that generation, grew up in the 90s, probably going to a bunch of hoops to the NBL, uh, loving the NBA around that Michael Jordan sort of, you know, explosion era that we probably copped a little bit of the end of the Magic and Larry uh, era as well. They sort of put it in front of us a little bit. You sort of pop off, you know, across the Australian media and then it just goes absolutely skyrockets and you're a big part of that in Australia, obviously. So this was, you know, let alone the NBA connection where you actually, you know, have the ring from the Spurs and everything. Um, but I think... Your story's been told plenty of times in Australia, and I think NBA Australia, we sort of look at this a little bit differently. And what you can't see in the NBA Australia studios, Gazy, is there's a lot of Seattle Supersonics paraphernalia. A lot of Sonics paraphernalia. Uh, I actually have a a Sean Kemp uh, poster that's signed half to my name. So my name, James. I spell it J-A-Y-M-Z because I'm a moron. We all get that. But... My beloved wife found a uh, poster on eBay that I've been talking about. It's literally signed 2J from Sean Kemp. And that's where your NBA journey basically begins, right? Like you tried out for the Sonics. You're the last cut. This all happens after the amazing Seton Hall run, uh, after the Olympics in 88, where you've sort of gotten onto the uh, sort of the international stage a little bit. Take us back to that sort of that period, right? Before the NBA's really taken off over here. Uh, where we didn't have any Australians in the NBA at all. We've had times where we've had 13 over the last year or two. Um, and you were very close to being the first. Very close. And then we had Lucian pip you right there because you don't make the Sonics roster. How did that all come about? What happened with the Sonics? Well, it was um, following my time with Seton Hall. And um, it was interesting because when I was playing at Seton Hall, I was listed as a junior. Uh, they were hopeful to get another year. I, I was an older student, but because of my participation in the Olympic Games, it was felt that there was a, a good chance that they, I would be granted another year uh, to, to get another year of eligibility. Uh, back back then, I don't know what the rules are now. Back then, for every year after you turn twenty, you lose it. You, you lost a year of eligibility, um, but. Uh, we applied and it was all looking good, but uh, what happened was is because the Pirates, the mighty Seton Hall Pirates, we did so well, we got through to the championship game, it drew a lot of attention to our team. And being 
first and foremost from a really small school that got through to the championship game, and then secondly, being a foreign player in the collegiate ranks, it's, it's not like it is today. It, there weren't that many foreigners playing. So a lot of tension came on me because we got through to the to the championship game against Michigan. And, um, um, and as such, there was a lot of investigations about my eligibility, about, um, you know, whether I'd a professional, those types of questions were being asked and a lot of heat was coming down following the uh, the overtime loss to, to Michigan. So it was felt that um, uh, it was subsequently proven to be that absolutely everything was above board and legitimate. But at the time, going through it with PJ, uh, PJ Calismo, the head coach, it was felt that it was probably best that I didn't return for another year. Uh, so because of that... Um, it was a, a, a late – the NBA wasn't going to be my option because I was planning on going back to Seton Hall. So very late in the piece, um, decided I wasn't – that we weren't going to go back. And um, because of that, I, um, I, I didn't – I wasn't – initially I wasn't in the draft, but then we went very late to say, oh, no, well, we're finished. Do you want to get – you know. So we made myself available, didn't get drafted, but then – had a couple of invitations, and the two uh, teams that were most interested were the Seattle Supersonics and the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, but I chose to go try out with Seattle. Had a great time. Bernie Bickerstaff was the, the, the coach. Sean Kemp was on that team, as you mentioned. Um, there was a, a, a whole bunch of – Dana Barris was another player that got drafted that year who played in the Big East with Boston College. So I, I had some experience against him, Dale Ellis, Xavier McDaniel, Dale Threat, Nate McMillan. It was it was a good team, and I learned a lot. It was a fun experience, but uh, I I didn't make the I didn't make the roster uh, back then. Unlike it is today, where they carry fifteen or sixteen players, they didn't carry any extra. So I didn't make the twelve, and um, came back and continued to play here in Australia. It's like, it feels to me like one of those amazing missed opportunities because as you sort of mentioned, right, they had Dana Barris. They had, uh, they basically always had a couple of shooters on those Sonics rosters. And oh, I feel like you would have, yeah. you would have fit in perfectly, right? Because that's what they sort of then went on to have like with Hersey Hawkins, uh, yeah. with basically even like Kendall Gill, like those sorts of players where they just sort of do everything but they could always hit from the outside as well. Right, Alan. I was there for a bit. Exactly, and I feel like you would be perfect on those teams, Gazy. It's killing me. It's killing me. Who knows what would have happened in '93? I'll tell you what. If you had been on that team, but anyway, the uh, that sort of stretch is like absolutely amazing. Obviously, because throwing back to like your start with your dad and with the Tigers, and obviously um, being in and around Australian basketball for so many years prior to that, the Seton Hall run, um, you sort of hit on that, like. Was it weird to sort of be a part of a huge college basketball moment and absolutely nobody back home in Australia know what the F was going on? Well, uh, they, they didn't know what was going on when I went over there because we're coming off our best ever performance at the Olympic Games. We went to Seoul and we actually, for the first time, played off for a medal. So that was a fun experience, but I didn't have a lot of time to enjoy and celebrate that. So basically straight from uh, the, the Olympics over to, to Seton Hall. But uh, because... We were so successful and we did get through to the NCAA tournament and then ultimately to the Final Four in Seattle, ironically. Um, the, uh, the Channel 7 decided to take the, the, the semifinal game and then the championship game. So this was a first in Australia. 
And because of that, a lot of people who didn't know much about basketball, certainly didn't know a lot about college basketball, got exposure to it. Um, and for me, once again, it brought a lot of attention on me because the reason they were doing it was because they had this Australian in the, in the game. So it was, it was shown on Channel 7, um, you know, it was like, I think it was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon and when I got back, to, just to see, I, I was sort of oblivious to the attention it was getting other than, you know, because been, I'd been away from home for quite some time and you sort of, and everyone's saying, oh, no, it's a pretty big deal, it's a pretty big deal. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but you're so fixated on what you're doing over there, you, you, you don't necessarily think about the impact that it was having. And it wasn't until I got back and people were saying, you know, kids would say, oh, we, we had the afternoon where we all sat around the telly watching it and, um, people say, oh, I took some time off work to watch it. You thought, hey, that's that's nice. It's nice that I was able to provide a uh, – to be the catalyst to, to give some exposure to the sport. I love it. Um, I would have been, yeah, so what, like six or, six or something? Something like that, yeah. I was in like prep or grade one, which is crazy to think about. Uh, but I'm also like I, – I love this idea because like then you – obviously with the Tigers, uh, you have – a couple of incredible years around the start of the nineties and you end up on the, I mean, the bullets, which yeah. came after a couple of other tryouts, didn't it? There was some other teams that you'd sort of spoken to in uh, the lead up. And then I feel like the, wasn't, wasn't it the bullets that sort of came out of the, like absolutely nowhere that sort of like pretty much. on the shoulder. Yeah, pretty much. It was um, following the, our 93 season. So back then, we played in the winter, Australian winter. So we weren't starting until March, April, thereabouts. Uh, and we won the title in October of 93. Uh, and then during that uh, off-season, I got a call. Got a call to, to, to go over there. The team was not going to make the playoffs. They uh, had a, a, some horrific injuries that they had to deal with. And um, we're looking to for a player and I, I would have gone over a lot earlier, but back then, cause they, they contacted me probably early January, but uh, to get all the visa and get the appropriate documentation, it took a lot longer than I thought, so, than I thought. So it wasn't probably till I can't remember the exact date, probably late February, early March. Uh, so I was getting towards the end of the season. And uh, for me, it was fantastic. I had two 10 day contracts. That was all, they were going to commit to me. Originally, when they started, they were looking to commit to me for, until the end of the season. But um, because of the whole visa situation, they didn't want to interfere with the, the, the Tigers. They had great respect for the Melbourne Tigers, and they just wanted me to come over and see if I could help out. So I did that. So I was there probably about a month um, and, and was a wonderful experience. Again, a team that had a lot of great players on it. Kenny Walker, Rex Chapman was there, Georgie Mirasan was uh, another one that, that was on there. Tom Gugliata, uh, Brett Price. Brent Price was on the team. So it was a, a great team, great bunch of guys. And uh, it was difficult, though, because, it, like I said, it was towards the end of the season and they were not going to make the playoffs. So it was, um, yeah, it was it was a tough situation. But uh, Wes Unsell was the coach. And, again, just a, a fantastic experience when, and got exposed to the NBA and, in my own head, it, it satisfied a lot of the own questions I had in, in my own head about, you know, what it was like and whether or not you felt I felt I could participate. So it was it was a really good experience. 
There's a couple of great uh, other nicknames on that team. It was like Nervous Purvis Allison, I think, was on those yeah, ones. Yeah, he was there American, from Louisville. American Pie, Don McLean. Amazing. Yeah, oh, I love Don that. Don McLean, yeah, he was there. UCLA guy. Obviously, um, Googs was fantastic because Googs would obviously go on to play with uh, Hammer, I think, when he was on Minnesota as well. So Yeah, that's right. Pretty weird. Nice connection. Um, I think that was also one of the great moments uh, in Australian basketball history because obviously you're on the cover of one-on-one in that Bullets jersey. That beautiful, beautiful Bullets jersey. Uh, but you're also immortalized on the upper deck uh, basketball card for Byron Houston. Yeah, that's right. He's dunking all over you, putting his loaf in your face, and it's just yep. like, why didn't you have a name on the back of that jersey? Well, I think it had to do with, um, I did have a name. My name was on there, but I think they photoshopped it out. <laughs> because I was only there for a short period of time and because uh, because I was no longer in the league right. the following year, I think that back then there might have been some um, restrictions or rights issues. Uh, so, so yeah, so only only those really um, close basketball fans can recognise me. But uh, I, I still remember the play. It was in a hellacious dunk. Yep. Um, so it, it's something that stuck out for me, and it's it's one of the quirky things that happens when you. You're over there. I'm only. I was only in the team for ten minutes, and really, you know, a, a very small role at that. But uh, caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Byron, who's Houston, is is, is hellacious. Don't write on my bonds. This is. Uh, it's like you know the uh, the way that social media is now. It's like oh, I got posterized. Oh, we posterized. Oh, he's been posterized. You quite literally got immortalized being posterized. Yeah. For like, when did you find out about that? Like, did someone show you that card at some point and go, Daisy, what are you doing? Yeah, pretty much. It was uh, back then. Of course, there was no, you know, it wasn't the internet, and they're not they're not communicating and showing pictures like it is today. Um, but I, I think actually someone sent it to me in the mail and asked me to sign it. <laughs> That's how I first saw it. Was it Byron Houston? That's how I... No, it wasn't him. And unfortunately, <laughs> he, he um, got himself into some strife. He did. Um, off the floor as well. So, it, um, no, it was just, I think it was just a fan who sent it to me. I'm like, oh, crikey, have a look at this. I'm getting, I could remember, straight away, I could remember the play. Amazing. So, those interceding years, so the, the Bullets, um, they were obviously, as you mentioned, horrible that year, like, 20-odd wins or whatever, and just uh, legitimately very, very Washington. That's been a lot of their history, apart from, like, the late 70s when they were really good uh, and, like, a couple of, you know, minutes here or there with Gilbert Arenas. But those interceding years, so you go, you had, like, stint, what, a European stint at some point as well. Uh, Obviously, you win that first title with the Tigers in 93 uh, you go back. Was the grand final in '96 against the Magic? Yeah, we're, then, no, we're in. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we were in the grand final in '92 and '93 and '96 and '97. Yeah. And so you win two of those titles. Like while this is all happening, and you're crushing it in the NBL, winning MVPs, winning scoring titles. Uh, are there other like bits of interest from NBA teams, like calling up, going, "Gazy, what's going on?" Uh, there was, and, and um, uh, even prior to that. Prior to going to Washington, there was, but I was so fixated on on playing for Australia, and that was really my intention. And perhaps it was a, a lack of self belief, and and perhaps not uh, having the confidence. And unlike it is today, of course, that there, there were very few foreigners playing in the league, so you weren't getting as much attention as what uh, players throughout the world are today. And 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 we didn't get to watch it all that often 
um, you know, there might have been a game of the week on the ABC or Channel 10 or whoever had the rights, but uh, we never get to see a lot. My dad had some mates in the States that would send him uh, videos, so I'd get to see some games, old games on, on tape. But uh, because it's not as in your face as it is today, it, it wasn't it wasn't such a big deal and it wasn't really a, a burning goal or something that I was striving to get to. All my focus was on the Australian team. So I didn't really take too too seriously. Um, the only one that I guess I, I regret the most was I remember um, my dad was really good friends with Dave Gavitt, who was the commissioner of the Big East and went on to be the general manager or, ha- or have a, a very high executive position with the Boston Celtics. And he reached out to my dad and said, you know, we'd love to have Andrew come and uh, be part of the Celtics. Um, and it was a, it was one where, uh, you know, it had to be, be a process to go through, but I'm, I'm pretty confident because he was there when I was in at Seton Hall with the Big East as well. Felt there was a really good fit and they wanted me to go over um, to camp to try out and, and, and you know, with a, a pretty strong recommendation and belief that, 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 that there'd be a reasonable chance to make the team. Um, but at the time, I said, no, nah, you know, I'd had my time with Seattle. I was enjoying and I could see the growth of the sport here. And so I, just, I, I, I said, no, nah, I'm not going to go do it. That's probably the only one that I look back on with any level of regret. And even then, it's only mild because the journey that I had going over and playing in Europe and, and just to be a part of the growth of sport here in Australia made it pretty special. So there were some nibbles along the way, but nothing too serious with the exception of that one until, of course, uh, the San Antonio Spurs in 99. Yeah, I mean, that was – like, did do you think much – I mean, obviously a lot changed after the 96 Olympics, right? Like, obviously the lead-up to that, and then you've got the 96 Olympics in Atlanta. That team itself is obviously – amazing uh it's just it's still amazing to think back to those rosters like and obviously shane then goes over to minnesota after that um there's a bunch of other sort of you know there's a lot of hype around sam mckinnon we've got chris anstey being drafted at the same point as well was there any sort of moment where you're like oh here we go and then you land on san antonio in 99 but was there sort of anything after the uh olympics where you're like i might get in here what are we doing no not at all uh, that 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 at that age, I'd reached a point where I just assumed that that was that had passed me by, and yeah. and like I said, I wasn't really concentrating on it. it. wasn't like it was I had this burning thing or I was putting myself out there. I was really content with with what I was doing, and it was it was actually during the '98 World Cup that, uh, and it was the lockout year. So Greg Popovich was at the World Championships. He was just a young coach at the time, and and I didn't even, of of all my international campaigns, I, I didn't actually. I didn't think I played that well in 98. And I just guess it's the fickle hand of fate that right place, right time, Pop was there. He felt like there was a specific need that he was trying to fill. And he, and he, he offered me the opportunity. So it was really random. Um, I knew exactly what I was getting in, myself into. I, you know, he sort of said, listen, we've got, we've got some plans with our team very much an insurance policy, but I want, would love to be a part of the team and prepared to make it a commitment. So I thought at that stage of my career that, hey, I was going to take this. And it was, it, was, it was not as easy as a decision as a lot of people think because we were going, we were flying that season, the 98 season, 
um, with the Melbourne Tigers. We, we were going really, really well, and we were, we, were, we were one of the favourites to win another title. So I had to forego that um, uh, and went over there, and obviously no regrets, of course, but, you know, I wasn't a prominent player. I didn't get to play too much, but just to be a part of it and share that experience and be on that journey and see firsthand uh, what it takes and to be in the inner sanctum of a championship winning team, it was a, it was a, again, an unbelievable privilege. Yeah. I think uh, the idea of like you actually still, you know, winning the NBA title next to the likes of the Admiral David Robinson and Tim, you know, a very young Tim Duncan and co it's, it's still like one of the weird, more unheralded aspects of Australian sport because, I mean, yeah, you weren't actually out there crushing it like we'd watched you do in Australia for years and years and years and years. And I still remember to this day, it's like, why are they playing Gacy? He's going to go yeah. out there and crush it. What are they doing? They're going to cost it. No. Anyway, who cares? Yeah. No, they had a really good team. And, and my, in my <laughs> really position, were, they were stacked, you know, with – Steve Kerr came into the program late. Like when I signed, was was there? Steve Kerr, Mario Ellie, they they weren't they weren't even signed at that time. I I, I um, made a commitment, albeit it wasn't formal. Made a commitment before I even knew that they were even in consideration. So you know, Sean Elliott was a superstar, but but you know, I, again, I, I was I was just happy to be there. Uh, it was just an incredible honour and privilege to be a part of it. I mean, you end up. In the locker room as a NBA champion, like that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, awesome. that's it. Just uh, right place at the right time, right set of circumstances, and play along and get to meet and, and share time with um, Tim Duncan, Dave Robinson, Steve Kerr. You know, um, Jerome Kersey was a was a character on that team as well. Who's no longer with us. So um, you know, it was and Avery Johnson was the the little general. So. It was it was a, a really good team, and um, to be a part of that, to be a part of the group, albeit that you know you always want to play more and, and make more of a contribution, but uh, just to be there was a was was fantastic. So, do you get to be counted as part of the pop tree? You know, you've gone into coaching yourself at times, all this sort of stuff. We've obviously got plenty of coaches that came out from him as players and as assistants. So, I mean, you've got to count there, don't you? I think anyone that's been through the program. It would be uh, hard not to be influenced. You know, Pop's got a way that he coaches and the way in which he establishes cultures and the way in which he puts in place his systems and all those things, it's hard not to be influenced when you're part of that and you see firsthand the success that it can have. So, so yeah, it, it's it's somewhere in there that you, you, you're impacted by it, but uh, probably, you know, not the strongest influence because my dad was always had the most profound influence, but but whether it's Pop, whether it's PJ, um, you know the, the coaches I have with the Australian team, uh, these types of people have had a, a significant influence on my development and how you approach the game, and and now as a coach, how you how you want to teach the game. Yeah, uh, really quickly, just to hit on some boomers stuff. I mean, obviously the '96 2000 teams are like, I think especially, again, for my generation, just like the absolute touchstones before we then hit our, what, you know, second golden era, I guess, from about 08 onwards. And did you feel that sort of like the groundswell, I guess, by the time 96 hits and then obviously by the time you're out there waving the flag 
<laughs> the Olympics and it's just absolute chaos. Like, did you feel like that the contribution that that sort of group had made had finally gotten you know enough recognition, even if you don't get it to a medal at mm. that point, it all becomes like a bigger part of a larger narrative, I think? Not at the time. At the time, you're just playing and you've got your own goals and you feel like you're on the cusp of doing something and you you get um, engrossed with the, the culture and your teammates. Uh, you're not really thinking of the, the long-term consequences of what you're doing. Uh, but in hindsight, I think, you know, I reflect back on those that influenced me, you know, Phil Smythe, Larry Senstock, uh, that group that when I first came into the team and the impact that it has, uh, you know, I like to think and, and hope that, that those that, that continue through the program, the messages and, and the culture and the goals, they're, they're, they're passed on. So, uh, you know, you do feel grateful that you have those opportunities, but you also uh, comes with a bit of disappointment because you're not able to get the ultimate goal of winning a medal. Uh, in upon reflection, still very very proud of what we were able to achieve, but at the time there's there's a definitely a tinge of disappointment because when you get so close and you want to be you know you want to win you you want to win a gold medal you want to win a medal um, and to not fulfil that clearly it's it's disappointing but I, I don't think I would classify it as a failure. I mean, what goes through your mind though when Shane Hill's trying to pick fights with Charles Barkley? Well, it's a bit of it's a it's all part of the fun, part <laughs> of the fun of the journey, and uh, part of the excitement of it all, and the buzz, and part of the camaraderie you you, you develop, and how you you want to be in there and and represent your country, and not be intimidated, not want to take a backward step. And I think Shane personified that in that moment. Didn't matter whether we're playing against Angola or we're playing against the dream team. Uh, we, we, we're going about it as competitive as hell and seeking respect. And, um, you know, it was a, it's, it's frightening when you're in there and you see the size of those guys and you think, gee, this guy, if he grabs me, he just <laughs> crushed me with one grab. But it's, um, it's, it's all part of the journey and it, it, it's, it, it's what makes the journey so special moments like that where you, you feel like you're, you're sticking up for your brothers and and it it's representative of the brotherhood of the, the team and how you respond in those moments. So I guess like on top of that as well, like we the one thing that we uh, share in common is that we we're both in tears after the uh, the bronze medal game. I was uh, I think I was actually in this room. I was doing a whiskey shoey. I think I was doing it out of the deli one rather than the right. ga- rather than the gazy pony. I've got the deli behind there. Right, right. Did the whiskey shoey. We had the live stream going. It was absolute chaos in here. Uh, and then we have your your mug up there as well. Basically uh, giving voice to everybody else as well who was in the exact sort of same boat, which was a lot of us, I think. Uh, yeah. How do you now feel about, like, so we've just had, you know, a pretty rough World Cup campaign, uh, but we've got Paris next year, of course, Paris 2024. Last little thing on the boom is, like, how do you sort of feel about that one shaping up with – Paddy barely getting any minutes at the moment. Jock barely playing as well for Houston. Uh, how do you feel like Gorge is going to go into this one and how do you think we'll actually go? Well, I, I think that we remain really confident. I, I think that you look at the players we have, the, the talent that we've got coming through the ranks, uh, it's it's a special 
era that we've got. And you only have to look at what happened at the World Cup and you see a team like Germany. And uh, I think that we can, we feel good about, should feel good about our ability to, to play to that level. And that level for them was good enough to win a gold medal. Uh, now, now, sure, people will look at it and say, well, you know, some of the megastars weren't there. But I think that that would be highly disrespectful and, and one that, that of, of the teams that were there, a lot of them did have their, their superstars. Sure, Serbia, Jokic, I understand. He'll make a difference. But, um, but the, the, the United States team, a lot of people critical of their level of talent, but it was still a very, very talented team. And high-profile players that, that are capable of doing some extraordinary things. So I think that uh, when you be a little bit more pragmatic about it and you assess where we're at, we're still in really good shape. Uh, a, a tough loss to, to Germany, you know, a, a bank shot with a minute to go goes in. Otherwise, we, you know, we probably win that game. So, and, and against Slovenia, it was a downer, but you, you've got one of the top five players in the world you're going up against. So it's not like we're miles away, um, albeit I think there are some good lessons learned and I think it'll hold us in good stead for what uh, what comes up in, in Paris. Tell you what, we could use a couple of uh, young big men. That's kind of, I feel like, the one thing that we're sort of really lacking. But got a lot of, we've got a lot well, of... Uh, Duop Reith is doing some really good things in, in Portland. And I thought Duop Reith had an outstanding uh, World Cup. Uh, so, you know, Jock comes back in there. So I, I don't think... And, and of course, the, the one that, that can really make a difference is Ben, uh, Ben Simmons. So I think if you've got those guys and they're playing well... Uh, you know, I wouldn't be too disheartened about what's going on in the big man department. Yeah, it's like the one thing that I always cast my my uh, my brain, my dumb brain back on is like the the missed opportunities of like uh, injuries to like prime Bogut, and it's like he you sort of we tend to almost like forget how good Bogut was at times. You are like that dude could anchor a defense, anchor an offense. And it's like the sort of thing that you take for granted at the time, and now you kind of really miss it. But anyway, well, that, that's the nature of the game. You, you go Bogues is one; it's a good example. But also Luke Longley. You think, well, imagine if we had had Luke in '96 and yeah. we finished fourth by and Sabonis in that last game. But that's injuries. That that's just the nature of the the, the game that that can happen from time to time. So uh, you got to be good enough to deal with it. Nice one. Really quickly, what was your favourite moment playing in the NBA? Did you have like one moment that you just sort of stick that sticks in your brain? Uh, well, actually, one of the favourite ones was uh, when I wasn't really in the NBA. I was on the Seattle SuperSonics roster, and we were playing an exhibition game or well, preseason game in St. Louis, going up against uh, Magic Johnson. So Magic was one of my heroes to to have the chance to to, to, to play against him. And I actually played a little bit in that game, so. To have that experience is a, and, and, and that's more to do with just being starstruck by magic and what he meant to me as a youngster. But just any time you pull on an Amy Yates jersey and, and you, you're up against these guys that you, you see uh, on the telly and have a tremendous respect for them, they're all great moments. I'm still just shattered that you never never actually end up playing on Boston because, I mean, like we've got the original Larry Bird and then you, the Aussie <laughs> Larry Bird. It's like oh, Boston. Yeah. Boston yeah. would have fallen in love with you, Gazy. It would have been yeah, over. Who knows? Who they, would have, knows? they would have had another bloody yeah. statue out there for you. They would have been falling <laughs> over themselves, chanting Gazy. Pretty, pretty um, sure that wouldn't have been the case, but no. <laughs> uh, do you have a favourite NBA teammate that you played with? Um, well, I got along well with them all. I think uh, when I was 
with the Spurs, I, I hung out most with Will Perdue and Steve Kerr and, and uh, Malik Rose. They were, um, they were the three guys probably I hung out with the, the most. Um, so not, not really. Don't, don't play favourites. Nice. You know, you're asking me which one of my kids do I love the most. <laughs> you love them all. Uh, I mean, obviously you also, in terms of your NBL career, Leonard Copeland is like, uh, you know, almost synonymous with you. Like we at the, uh, the gays and uh, Copeland sort of thing that uh, Anstey put on a little while ago. It was just like one of those back and forth. You guys just talked literally at each other for like an hour. It was yep. fantastic. Uh, outside of Copes, though, who was your favorite yep. NBL teammate? Um, well, the more, I guess when you win a championship, that the, the, they're special moments that you share with each other. You know, I, I spent a lot of time with Warwick Giddy because we coach. He's still here. We coached his son and um, still very close with him. Uh, Nigel Purchase is still one of my, my closest friends. Obviously, Copes. We spent a lot of time with Copes. Uh, just got finished playing 18 holes with golf with Copes today. Got the win, so that makes it even more special. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there, there's, um, there's, they're all, they're all great. Not, you just build uh, bigger relationships with some rather than others. But I've been lucky that you know throughout the journey that they've all been really good to me and helped me in, 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 um, when we were teammates and helped me have the, some of the successes that, that I was personally been able to have. I wouldn't have been able to do that without that support. Nice. I guess, I, and as well, with the, the same with the thing with the titles. I've got to assume that the 93 title was the sort of the one that stands out the no, most. 93 and 97. 90, both, of them, both of them mean so much. But you're right, the first one, not having had that feeling before, but no two are the same. Um and, and to share that in Perth, that hostile environment, that uh, it, it was very galvanising and, and it made for a special moment. Amazing. All right, Gazy, we're not going to keep you any longer. This has been an absolute thrill to have you on for the thousandth episode. I, am I appreciate just, it. I'm just giddy with excitement, basically. I'm, no, no, I appreciate it. And congratulations, like I said from, from the start. Well done. And may there be tens of thousands more. <laughs> Here's to it. All right, thank you very much. It's Andrew Gaze. This is Shane Hill, and you're listening to NBA Australia. Oh, here we go. We're cracking tins. We're doing your NRs, and they are brought to you, as always, by the NBA Australia shop. Get your merch. People. Get your merch, get your merch. Wear it. Get your merch, get your merch. All right, thousandth episode. Go buy some merch. NBAstray.com slash shop or just click through on the socials. If you do so, I'll just chuck in one of the uh the squirrely promo uh stubby holders. I might even grab one. If you're watching it. There you go. Stubby holder. The old no can left behind one. Go check that out. Buy anything, I'll chuck that in for free. There's only a few there, so hurry up. Uh NBAstray.com slash shop. Click through on the socials. Buy a t-shirt, buy a hoodie. Help your mate Jim out a little bit, would you? All right, now I put the call out for some yenars uh, from listeners and co. And we got a shit ton, so let's uh, dig in. Uh, I wanted to do a quick one. Other thunder, a bit of a mess, Jim. Yeah, nah. Yeah. Is it because of Giddy? Yeah, nah. He's putting on a brave face. But the three of eleven shooting today. At least he got some assists. The team just looks substantially wonkier than it did in the earlier part of the season, right? And it's a bit of a worry. 
Chet not having a good game today obviously doesn't help. Dort not being able to hit the side of a fucking barn very bad. The Williams eyes, it's that one thing where it's like, yeah, you can go super, super deep, but if the next best dude is like Isaiah Joe, outside of the two Williamses, and you got Kenrick Williams hitting a couple of threes, you got the other ter- the other man, Kaysen Wallace is a rookie. It does also get pretty thin on the ground pretty quickly if you don't have dudes. And if your dudes aren't performing... You know, the giddy Chet's door to the world. And it gets pretty squirrely quickly. And yeah, who knows what that could be attributed to. It's really not great, though. All right. Let's get into these listener year Nas. Has a P. Can I say that Perk getting called Big Perk by whatever respectable young lady is working the ESPN desk is killing me? Yeah, nah. Yes. It's fucking weird. Oh, what do you think, Big Perk? No. I'm going to stop barking. It's like, what is happening? This is absolute dog shit broadcasting. The lady calling them Big Perk, it's just Kendrick Perkins. Just call them by their fucking name. I mean, it's coming from me. He calls everyone by a nickname, but Jesus. Kendrick Perkins. Let's go. Matty O. What about the fucking ball in the orange courts? Adam Silver at it again. That's right. Why are they asking them to change their jerseys? Yeah, nah. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, nah, you got to change the jerseys. like, we can't see the ball. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, Paul Arnie, happy thousandth show legend. Congratulations on the milestone. Love the show. Thanks for the analysis. Ba-ba-da-ba-da. Maybe not so much you complaining about your busted-ass body, <laughs> but you get them as you get older. You're right. Um, he mentions, look, looking forward to the next 1,000 episodes. I absolutely am too. Uh, we'll see if we get to those next 1,000 episodes after we finish the last triple-double IPA. It's the James Harden one. I think Matty O sent this one over. 8.6. I might not make it to the end of the show. Um, but Paul Arnie asks, what would be the top five or ten moments in NBA Australia's first 1,000 episodes? And I've got to say, obviously, all the boomers-related stuff, right? Like, so not in the actual NBA season, all the boomers gear, the live streams, the World Cup and Olympic catch-ups that we were doing uh, were fucking great. I loved it. Um, obviously, Gazy having him on, it was an absolute thrill. Same with Joe Ingles uh, taking his time out. But then, like, having Hammer on, having Chris Anstey on, like, just, it's been fucking awesome to have legends of the game who are Australian just jump on and have a fucking chin wag. And then, like, you always, like, on this show, obviously, with that bumper, we have uh, a bunch of those sort of, Homegrown other legends as well, like Mitch McCarron, Kadee. Uh, you've got Rowdy. Dally's obviously been on the show. That was a fucking thrill. I'd much, I'd really love to have like a bigger, longer sit down with Dally just to talk stuff out. But I mean, it's been fucking awesome. Just to, like the Gazy interview was such a fucking thrill. Like Hammer sitting there just like talking for like forty five minutes has been great. Anstey just jumping on whenever I'm like, "Hey Chris, what are you doing?" He's like, "Oh yeah, fucking, I'll jump on." Is incredible. I love it because I think. What I want most to show through in NBA Australia is just like how fucking great basketball can be at bringing folks together and talking shit out. And, you know, it's not so much about, uh, you know, talking about their past careers and shit. It's more about just sort of digging into what makes basketball great, what experiences they had and how much fucking fun it is, right? And that's what this all comes down to. And that's what I hate about that shit like I was yelling about yesterday, the Nick Friedel stuff. Oh, the NBA is going to be shattered. 
It's going to be fucking shit, man, to see, like, Bucks Pacers. Like, fuck you, dickhead. I want to see great basketball all the time. And uh, that's what I love. And I love talking basketball. And when you have former players, current players, stuff like that on, it's just a massive fucking thrill. But I think the other sort of best moments have been just playoff runs where NBA Australia would just get into a groove, like a day-by-day groove. Uh, Like it took this long to get to 1,000 because obviously having two kids in the interregnum uh, made it tough to do daily shows for, you know, pretty big stretches there. Uh, And mostly that all comes down to old mate being extremely understanding and not fucking stabbing me in my sleep yet. Um, But really, I think, Coming up with the dumbest shit in the world for the skits is always good. But literally having guests on, people have asked me, it's like, Jim, why don't you have more guests on? It's like, it's because it's fucking hard to organize. And I'm just like one dude doing my thing, doing a daily thing anyway. So it's like trying to carve out time to organize guests and stuff is pretty hard. But yeah, Gazy, Hammer, Anstey, Jingles, Deli, Rowdy, even Creaky early on, Bogut early on. Uh, them taking the time to just jump on and have a chin wag is fucking what it's all about, right? And I fucking love it. But in terms of like momentous occasions, it's probably like doing the bubble playoffs when no one had anything else to fucking do. Uh, during the pandemic, doing the week-on-week uh, breakdowns of The Last Dance was really fucking fun because I think in that time period, we had like Kadee jump on, we had Lucas Walker jump on, we had Mitch McCarron jump on, and we are just talking about that sort of era of basketball, which is fucking amazing. So... Yeah, I've had a great fucking time, obviously. <laughs> it's been great. Um, yeah, anytime you're doing finals and stuff, like it's just really great and really fun. So, But guests, that's where it's at. Matt Lanyon, congrats on the 1,000th episode. Massive number of commitment. Yep, thank you. <laughs> where else would he get the magic tweet of the day? Um, the in-season tournament has been wicked and definitely agreed should be longer and go until Christmas or lead into the weekend gap before the Super Bowl. Thank you. That's where I reckon it's that weekend gap before the Super Bowl that could have an absolute crescendo for the NBA, take some focus away from the NFL and just steal some of their fucking audience. You know what I'm saying? Random year nah for you though, says Matt. Should the NBA bring some of those tawny vibes to the All-Star game? Have full rosters, 15, East and West, split each into a team of seven or eight, so have four teams and do a round robin on the day with shorter games and then a final game. Throw the rising stars in for shits and giggles if you need. Yeah, nah. Ooh, this isn't bad because this is kind of what they did with the rising stars game, right? Where they split them up into teams and you sort of just play through. I think it'd be kind of interesting, but I think if we have already the knockout format for the in-season tournament and it's longer, I think the all-star game probably just actually feeds off a little bit of the competitiveness coming out of that. And everyone is just like, yeah. It's good to play competitive games of basketball, and I think you'll see the All-Star game get a bit hammer and tongy as well. Yeah, it's a good one. But that's a fucking good idea because they're going to keep tweaking this All-Star thing. I think maybe it's the yeah the rookie, the Rising Stars game should probably keep doing that and see if that actually works and then maybe use that for the All-Star. Brad McKeegan. Ah, oh, legend. Uh, the state of Aussie hoops is a better place than episode one. Yeah, nah, yes, definitely. Definitely across the board. Australian Hoops is in a better place than when I started NBA Australia uh, because basically a lot of the time, like the NBL has gotten way fucking better and you've seen genuine pathways, obviously, of course, out of the NBL into the NBA for not just Australians, which is fucking huge. But I think the weird part for me is the uh, 
the sort of stalwarts of Australian basketball that are in the NBA, this has been a weird year, a weird year, I guess, for the Aussies because there are a lot of them. But if you think back to that first episode, like 17, you've got Patty, you've got Bangers, you've got Jingles, you've got Simmons, and basically like kicking some ass and taking some names. You've got the likes of Rowdy and Creaky sort of banging down the door as you know, as it sort of goes in. You've got Bogut hanging in there and then sort of uh, ducking in and out. You've got Dally, of course. You've got Kung Fu Thon. You've just got sort of the ins and outs. And now where we are, I think it's really, really cool to see someone like Duop Wreath, the Grim Wreather, the Great Barrier Wreath, go out there, just force his way into the NBA just by virtue of like a really, really handy like skill set. And I'd love to see way more of that, right? So we are undoubtedly in a better place than we were. Like I think the domestic game is better than it's been since the 90s. Uh, and it's been fucking fantastic. So I've enjoyed that. Yeah, nah. Jingles, the first 1,000 episodes Aussie MVP, says McKeegan. I don't know. Bangers was on a bit of a run there. <laughs> Jingles, though, uh, is the gift that keeps on giving. The biggest disappointment might be the way Ben Simmons' injury gear has derailed his last few years. But the Aussie MVP for the first 1,000 episodes, if Dally had been in the NBA the last, like if he hadn't have had the break where he's like back over here, back with Sacramento, uh, because that post-2016, well, 2015 NBA Finals, 16 Dally gear was just absolute peak, peak Dally, so... Uh, but Jingles is the best. I'll fucking pay that. Yeah, nah, will we get a game down under before you bring up 1,500? Yeah, nah, ugh, probably nah. Adam Silver just hates Australia and Australians. Yeah, nah, if your body keeps going the way it's going, you'll be one of those Futurama glass head jars <laughs> by episode 2,000. That's if Stats Guy doesn't knife you and take over hosting. Oh, watch out, Stats Guy. I'm watching you. Yeah, I'll definitely be end up there. The way, like, what, is it busted foot, busted finger, had the cocoa? Yeah, it's a bit of a shit show. Episode 2000, I might just be a head in a jar. That's great. I'm living on gefilte fish. Uh, but, yeah, thanks, McEgan. Always a big supporter of the shows. Uh, Ian Matthew Bassett. Ian Matt, IMB, out there west, out the west, my favorite painter. Congratulations on a 1,000. Oh, Bob, thanks, mate. Thanks for making me laugh. Anyway, could Joe Ingles end up having the best season of all the Aussies in the NBA? Yeah, nah, his team very well could, which is crazy. Uh, because Greeny, look, I think Josh Green has the ability to have like a really fucking good year, but uh, the injury comes at a really bad time. Uh, the Mavs have been pretty up and down, but when he's on, God, he looks good. I still think Giddy could end up having the best season of all the Aussies in the NBA. Just because he's getting the opportunity, he's starting, that team's really good. And if he sort of puts this lull behind him, uh, he could still end up having the best season. But in terms of like which team goes furthest, the Magic could easily make like the second round of the playoffs. But then so could the Thunder. So I reckon it's Jingles and uh, Jingles and Giddy, unless Simo comes back. But I already mentioned that on yesterday's show. Like if when Sim- Simmons comes back, it's already cooked. Like what are we doing? Uh, Scotty Baxter, yeah, nah, crazy stat lines today to celebrate your 1,000 show. Yeah, nah, yes, I loved it. It was so chaos to have like a 50-point game from Embiid, the insane Luca game. I mean, even Paolo going off was great. Dan Josh has got a few here. Uh, 
OKC should go in all in ASAMP with so many assets. Package them up for a Kawhi, Siakam, or OG. I kind of feel like OG is the one dude that fits really well there. You know, that ability to switch around, uh, give them that one sort of thing. Like They've got a Williams that can sort of do that role as well, but OG does it that little bit better. I don't think really Siakam puts them over the top. Kawhi obviously would, but I just don't know if he's going to go to OKC, even if you give them a bunch of their picks back, that Clippers team. Uh, Drosher has got a good one, though, about the Raptors. On that Dynamite, the Raptors... On that, Dynamite the Raptors roster. It's janky and imbalanced. So many stretches with scoring droughts. Hardest team behind Wizards and Detroit to watch. Scoob the only bloke you don't try and move on. Yeah, nah. I kind of think, yeah. Like, this is the weirdest part. The rap. I mean, I literally yelled about this on yesterday's show, saying how it's really hard to get a grasp on what they do well uh, when they should be better than they are at times, but you just don't have any sort of sense of consistency about what you're going to get from them. Uh, and as we saw it today, right, like you've got three really good sort of big, solid, uh, you know, between OG, Siakam, and Scoob, those sort of wing, big, kind of switcheroo perimeter dudes. And then Schroeder has a bad game, and it Scoob has a bad game, and you fucking, the entire game falls apart. So I don't know. I feel like they're just not showing me enough. So I think keep Scoob, everything else, reset, away we go. Yeah, nah, yeah. Uh, there's a couple of other ones. I might save them for tomorrow. There's a couple of other ones from Dan and stuff. And we'll have a couple more, I think, that have just come through when I saw my phone before. I should actually uh, have a look at this. Oh, was there anyone there? I think there was, but I can't find it. Oh, jeez. It's all right. Uh, but yeah, thanks for sending all those through. It's awesome. All right, unpopular opinion of the day. Now look at me, please. Look at me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, it's not unpopular, but it's kind of true. Embiid is actually playing better than last year when he won the MVP. The thing is, he shouldn't win MVP this year. <laughs> you know? As weird as that is, there's way more deserving. Like, Luke is probably ahead of him in the MVP standings right now. Joke is my pick right now, too. Giannis, by the end of the season, will be ahead of him as well. So, a bit of a tough one there for big Joel Embiid. What about Outback Takeouts, though? Let's do it. It's Thursday at our back, and you know what that means? Oh, yeah, two for one blooming onions. That's right. No prick in Australia knows what the fuck these things are, you yank weirdos. What is it? It's some sort of deep-fried onion made to look like a flower? How about you blow it out your ass, you weirdos? No prick in Australia knows what the fuck this is. The only way we cook onion is if it's in Nana's fucking spag bowl, or in some sort of weird salad with a pub feed that you put off to the side because you're like, oh, I'm going to be burping that up all night. Also, you fang it on the barbie, don't you? Cook it as black as a dead dog's guts and then chuck it on your saucy. That's how you have your onions. But still, two for one, blooming onions only at Outback. And today's Flame Girl take is... This is a throwback. If he never gets traded and they never give Jim McIlvain that big contract and piss him off... And then the lockout never happens. Sean Kemp would be a top 15 player all time and Seattle would have won the 1998 NBA title and never would have been moved to OKC by David Stern. Only at Outback. It all comes down to that fucking Jim McIlvain goddamn contract, I tell you. Break him up. Break him up. All right, quick Australian player watch right after. Let's say this. 
This is Matthew Delvedover, and you're listening to NBA Australia. All right, let's get into it. Patty Mills still has only played the one game this year. Breaks your heart. Benny Simmons uh, still a week and a bit away from being checked in on. Uh, Rock'em, sock'em, block'em, jock'em, Landale. The rooster. Oh, how'd he go today? Well, didn't get out there. He played uh, against the Lakers the other day. He copped a did not play today. So, against the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's right, against his mate. It was a bit of a weird one because he didn't dress, so maybe there's some sort of injury or a concussion or something on there, but not great. Uh, in that same game, obviously, Josh Giddy did the 311 that we talked about early, earlier. He only played the 25 minutes. Uh, two of five from downtown, actually, in that three of 11, though. Six assists, very nice. Four rebounds, one steal. Uh, three fouls and eight points. Not bad, not bad. Still not great, though, you know? Just want to see that sort of, uh, if not a leap, and at least a step forward. <laughs> Aussie Matty T and the Grim Reaper. How did they go today? Well, they went pretty well, actually. Well, actually, how about we do Sexton first? Because Dante got his start. Uh, I mentioned it earlier as well. He didn't have the world's greatest game, uh, but got a couple of uh, nice little stats late. He ends up with a five points, six rebounds, seven assists, and two steals. Two of nine shooting, one of five from downtown. But Dante sex him up, X him. He did sex him up because now he's got a kid. Great job. Congrats on the sex. Uh, Aussie Matty T in that game against the Warriors today. Played 31 minutes. Uh, the Grim Reaper, he started, played 22. As I mentioned, 10 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal and a block. Not bloody bad. 2 or 6 on the floor, 1 or 5 from downtown. Aussie Matty T, 9 points, 3 steals and a block. An assist and a rebound. Shot 3 or 6. All of the makes were from downtown. 3 or 5 from 3. You love it. I love it. You better bloody love it as well. And, of course, Jingling Joe Ingles in that game against Cleveland. Uh, Jingles only played 17 minutes, only took one shot and missed it. That was from three. He had four rebounds, three assists, and a steal for zero points in the end. But still, tough one for that Magic team. I'll tell you that much. It was pretty, pretty, pretty tough. Uh, right. I just want to see more Patty Thrills. That's all I asked for. How about an Andrew Gaze Grand Mumber Award for outstanding achievement in the field of excellence really quickly before we do the great moment in NBA Australia State history? Andrew Gay's Grey Mumba. Clap it up. We've heard from Gazy. How good was that chat? Absolutely love it. Uh, Luca now has seven career 40-point triple-doubles. That's the fourth most all-time tied with Wilt Chamberlain. Luke is already in conversations with Wilt Chamberlain. That's just stupid. I believe he's ninth in triple-doubles overall. He's fifth in 30-point triple-doubles and fourth in 40-point triple-doubles. That's bloody excellent. So he's gone past Larry Bird for ninth all-time. It's pretty excellent. The Slovenian the Slovenian Larry Bird, the Slovenian Andrew Gazers, I've called him, uh, out there doing pretty bloody good work. Right, quick great moment in NBA Australia stat history. One of my all-time favourite segments because it's got a great line. Great moments in NBA Australia stat history. You're not wrong there, Jim. Uh, great moment in NBA Australia stat history. You might have seen the photo floating around. Uh, on this day, back in 2010, 
we had the famous Dwayne Wade, LeBron James alley-oop. The photo with Wade, arms up, ooping it up back behind his head to LeBron. Uh, in the background of that photo is one Andrew Bogut. That's right. The Heat were playing the Bucks that day in Milwaukee. And Bogut actually had a half-decent game. They did lose 88-78. And this is probably one of the most amazing things. Like So having done a 1,000 episodes of NBA Australia, we've sort of gotten through the uh, three-point shooting revolution to the point where the Pacers are averaging, what, almost 130 fucking points a game at this point, right? 120-odd points per game. The Bucks lost that 88-78. Basketball is undoubtedly in a way more fun <laughs> offensive revolution moment than we were then. Bogey had 11 points, 13 rebounds, 3 assists, and 3 blocks in that game. He only shot 4 of 12, but uh, was in the background of that photo on that fast break from D-Wade and LeBron. And that is a great moment in NBA Australia State history. All right, what about a Patty Mills game day ball or game day Twitter check-in? Let's do it. Has Patty updated anything? Let's check to see if Patty. What about Chris Anstey? Oh, oh the Taranaki Airs. That's his uh, NZNBL team. Go check that out. Really excited for this partnership uh, with BDO. That's awesome. It's going to be some coaching and stuff. And then he's got Hools doing some Under Armour gear. Very nice. Love that from Chris Anstey. Big supporter of the t- of the show. Absolute legend. Uh, let's see if Rock'em, Sock'em, Block'em, Jock'em, Landau has said anything. Dante? No. How good is it that Dante and Luca both had kids and both are actually playing their asses off at the moment? I think it's pretty neat. <laughs> All right. Uh, nothing else from Patty on the tweets either. Oh, wait. No, there was one the other day. Love seeing Patty Mills still making young fans smile in San Antonio. Uh, hashtag Spurs family. Hashtag Poor Vida. Love to see that. All-time legend, Patty Thrills, Patty Mills. All right. Let's do some game picks. Game previews. Game previews. Thanks, inadvertent Bane. Not a problem, Jim. Are you excited about a thousand episodes? Yes, I am. I really am. This is fucking... It's still stunning to me. I love it. Uh, how do we on the picks today? Uh, we went... Ofa, Ofa, Ofa. One, two... Three. Oh, three of 11. Oh, shit. What did you do, Jim? You went and did 311. Chill. I couldn't even believe that. I can't believe I went 3 of 11. That's amazing. I did not plan that. That was sick. Ah, that's the beauty of NBA Australia, isn't it? All right. Tomorrow's games, however, we have the two semifinals of the in-season tournament. We've got an early start. Don't forget, for Indy Milwaukee, it's Milwaukee. It's Algonquin for the good land. They're hoping that Vegas is also the good land tomorrow because the I think it's a 9 a.m. Australian Eastern time start uh, for that one. Won't somebody please think of the children? Uh, Pace, yeah, Pace's Bucks at 9am. It's a weird game. It's a fun game. It's two top three offenses going at it. I actually, after what we saw from the Pacers against the Celtics in the semis, the defense stepped up just enough, uh, and Boston obviously found it really hard to keep up with them in terms of scoring. 
I think Milwaukee in that offense will probably have a bit of an easier time keeping up with the paces, but we've seen Milwaukee's defense get gouged time and time and time again as well. So I'm going to go with Indy plus four and a half in this. I think Halliburton and Dame back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The weird thing is whether or not the paces can contain Giannis even a little bit. When you've got Obi Toppin out there, Miles Turner, uh, it's not a giant front line. You've got Bruce Brown that you can sort of throw into the mix too. So maybe they can give themselves a bit of a shot. But look, I think they can keep this close. Even if the Bucks win this, which I think they do, I think we get a bit of an absolute barn burner. Give me the plus points. I'll take plus four and a half for Indy. And I think that'll be an awesome game. And then we've got New Orleans versus the Los Angeles Lakers of Los Angeles, California, where there are very few lakes. The Lakers are one and a half point favorites. I'm going to take the Lakers because I think the thing with the Pelicans, the way they beat the Kings, a lot of size, uh, they just sort of dominated that Kings team. It's a little bit smaller than you think. The Lakers are not small. When you've got AD, you've got LeBron, even D'Lo. You've got Reeves, who's not small. You've got the types, you know, the likes of Rui, Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt. They're not small. So I think the Lakers' offense can really probably make the Pelicans work. The Pelicans do have a bit of a shot at this one, though. Like, between the likes of what, Jordan Hawkins, Trey Murphy, those sort of, like, perimeter shooters, CJ McCollum. Uh, obviously, they've got the vacuum, Dyson Daniels in this. But I don't know if their defensive backcourt helps them as much as it probably did against a team like the Kings. So when the Lakers just go, LeBron, can you look after the ball? And he's like, all right, me and Austin can sort this out from here on out. And uh, they go from there. Then it gets a bit tougher. So I'm going to take the Lakers minus one and a half. It breaks my heart because it's the Lakers, but I think they're a little bit too good for the Pelicans. And there we go. All right. That's it. Can you believe it? 1,000 episodes. I don't know what I've done a thousand of in my life. Very cool. Uh, so thank you to everybody for writing in, but also mostly just being a part of this. You know, my one of my all-time favorite bands, The Hold Steady. He's got the tattoo on his arm. Uh, there is so much joy in what we do here, right? It's The Hold Steady's thing. Uh, and I fucking love doing NBA Australia. Absolutely fucking love it. I love talking hoops. I love just the entire process of basketball, putting together a show about it each day. Uh, it's been the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. So apart from, you know, kids, family, all that sort of stuff. But in terms of my actual, like, you know, career, being the editor of a really awesome music magazine when I was 25 was fantastic. Being in charge of Triple J magazine was awesome. Uh, freelancing, doing lots of shit like that. Like, that's what gave me the opportunity to do this. And I've fucking loved every second of it. Like, it can be a bit of a drag, but I mean, as I've sort of bashed home time and time again, the best thing about NBA Australia is you get into a groove of it, doing it daily, and you sort of never look back. Like, it just sort of flows. And as long as you sort of trust your own vibes, trust your own voice, like, it's all good. And I'm going to continue to call it like I seize it, hopefully another thousand plus episodes. So. Uh, thanks to all the guests who have been on. Thanks to Gazy. That was such a fucking great chat. I love him. He's an absolute crack up. Just talking shit with him for, you know, for that 40 odd minutes of a call was just fucking awesome. So hopefully we get him in the studio at one point and that'd be really cool. But thanks to everybody who's ever popped on, everyone who sent me a DM, anyone who supported the show, commented on an article, listened to the podcast, shared the podcast, done anything. 
It's fucking beyond my comprehension that it's actually still going. So thank you. Uh, that's it for today. That's it for the thousandth episode. I'm not going to have a skit after this because I'm already uh, rooted. We're going to go to the pub for dinner. So uh, we'll be back on deck tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure you're following NBA Australia on Twitter, Facey IG. We're all over the socials. You know that. Get around NFL Australia, of course, with myself and Gaz as well. But we also have the Cricket Today podcast. That's the Cricket Boys. I'm going to pop up on that every so often, I think. But uh, it's Stats Guy. You've heard him on this show. It's our social guy, Leo. Man, Marcus as well. Go subscribe to that right now. You'll see it pop up every here and there. Uh, get around NBAstro.com slash shop. Get your merch. Get your merch. Go and help a brother out. And Chuck us a rating and review. Come on. A thousand episodes. You've got to fucking rate and review it, don't you? What are you doing? Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, whatever app you're using on your Android phone. Thanks to From Oslo for the intro and outro song. Check out House Hats, Joshua Delarantis, Fascinated, Gold Mines, Ramshackle Army, Iowa, Section I, and Green, 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 for, and Dozers for all the tunes you hit throughout the show. Smash them on Triple J and Earth, Facey, Apple Music, Bandcamp, whatever you listen to. NBA Australia supports Australian bands, so should you. And that's it. A thousand episodes of NBA Australia. I fucking love your guts, mates. We'll talk to you tomorrow, you dickheads. NBA Australia saying thank you. And later, Ozan. <laughs>